Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. These are three messages given on Sunday morning, October 16th, 2022 by Thomas Cox, Kathy Jenkins, and Tom Job answering the question, what is a scripture that changed your life? Hello, good morning. Anybody wake up with less fingernails than you started yesterday with? Man, playing guitar without fingernails is, it's harder than you think. It's just, I'm in pain right now. My dad was like, hey, I'm gonna come burn my couch in your yard. Is that cool? And I was like, yeah, let's do it together. It's gonna be great. Um, what passage of scripture changed my life? Um, I'm gonna be in Romans 12, if you all wanna follow along. It's gonna be one verse. It's gonna be quick, short, sweet. I forgot to bring a Bible up here, but I have it right here in front of me, so it's gonna be great. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Um, The first time I remember remembering that verse, uh, it was 2012. I was a a senior in high school. I was about to graduate. I'm sure I'd heard it before then. I was in a pretty cool Bible study at the time, so I'm sure that I'd heard it a few times. I was a... Softball to Lee there. Um, but I was about to graduate high school. I was learning it for this thing I was about to go do. I had to memorize it. And, and let me tell you straight up, like looking back on 2012, Thomas, from where I am now, I was in a very precarious place in my life, in my faith. Uh, this verse right here was perfect for where I was spiritually. Perfect. It, it was exactly what I was looking for and, and like not in an awesome way. And I, l- let me like explain that a little more. Let me dive in a little deeper with that. It, it, was, it was literally perfect for me. Um, there would have been nothing more attractive to me than this verse. So let me, let me look at it again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So, 18-year-old Thomas, you're telling me that I can offer things to God And it would be holy and pleasing to him. I would be holy and pleasing. I could make it known that I was holy and pleasing to God. And it was right of me. It was true and proper of me to do it. Oh, man, that was the perfect verse for me. And let me tell you why. And this is going to sound familiar if you've ever read the book of Ephesians. Brother Saul of Tarsus would be like, yes. Paul would be like, whoa, dude, chill. But like, nothing was more attractive to me because in my mind, I fit that criteria perfectly. I grew up in church. Every Sunday, the door was open. Every Sunday night, the door was open. Every Wednesday, I was there. Check. I I had that figured out. I was crushing that. Nothing wrong with that. It was awesome. Uh, I I grew up in a family that knew the Lord. Check. Had that figured out. Um, I I was one of those people who, like, whether you wanted to know about God or not, I was going to make sure you knew about him. Whether you cared what I had to say about him, I was going to make sure you knew about him. Uh, Whether you asked for it or not, I would tell you about him. I knew scriptures. I knew hymns. I had an aunt and uncle who were missionaries in Africa. And yes, I thought that was a qualifier for being a Christian. No joke. I thought it was was like to my benefit that because my aunt and uncle were missionaries in Africa, I was good. I was righteous. One time in middle school, I made someone really mad at me. Like, and you know. They were definitely mad at me. They had a reason to be mad at me. And for some reason, this person thought it was a good idea to call out my religiosity. They were just like, hey, I thought you were supposed to be this really cool Christian, and you're not doing a good job of it. And no joke, I found the trump card in this situation. It was amazing. I was like, how dare you call out my Christianity? 
my aunt and uncle are missionaries in Africa. <laughs> and like, she backed down. Like, she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Like, who knew that was a thing? Your boy was super zealous. Bet you didn't think you were going to hear that word this morning. Uh, I, like, I was very quick about telling people about God. I, my best friend lived across the street growing up. We did everything together. Had to wait till 10 a.m. to call him because the home phone would ring. It would wake everybody up. Uh, and we would do everything together. As soon as we could start our day, we would go on vacations together. We'd watch football together. We did all the stuff together. And one day we were playing in the yard, just doing like typical middle school boy things. And we got into it. Just like one of those, we're screaming terrible things at each other. We're throwing walnuts at each other, which like are heavy and they could do some damage. Like we were firing these things off of each other. My dude's like, well, at least I can watch PG-13 movies. <laughs> and my response to that, I'm, I'm not even joking, was, well, if I died today, I would go to heaven. <laughs> like, I was positive I had it figured out. I did all the things, I knew the stuff. According to this, in my head, this, this verse was perfect for me. I offered my body to the Lord in any way I possibly could. I must have been holy and pleasing to God. I was true and proper. I had it figured out in my head. This was all currency to me. All the things I did was currency. It was like coins in a piggy bank, just clink. God, I did the thing. Watch this. Clink. Um, hey, this person needed help with their groceries. God, hey, look, watch this. Clink. We're good. We're good for a little bit. I'm, I'm righteous. We're tight. Uh, hey, God, this person couldn't mow their yard, so I'm going to go do it for them. In fact, I'm going to like start a business about this. Pay attention to this. I'm going to do this all in your name. I'm good, right? Clink. Coin in the jar. There's trash on the side of the road. I'm going to pull over and pick it up. There's trash in the parking lot of Oak Ridge High School as I'm walking into class. I'm going to grab it and throw it in a trash can. But it's so I'd be good with God. I would be good. Another coin in the jar. We're, we're doing good here. This person had a hard week at school. My friends are having a terrible time. Their family's messed up. They broke up. Whatever. They broke up with their, their girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. Hey, can I sit down and tell you about God? Not because you like, desperately need him, even though you really do, but because for me... This means I get like another coin in the jar. I get, I get more righteousness piled up, more and more. This verse met me exactly where I was in my mind. It was the perfect verse for me to know in high school because it fed everything that I thought I believed and knew about following Jesus. This was my faith, believe it or not. This idea right here, that I had to know everything, I had to do all the things. If I did them all, I could just keep filling that piggy bank up, baby. I would be righteous. God would like me. Like I told my best friend, I'm going to heaven, man, because I know all this stuff. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm crushing it. And that's who I was. That's what I thought. I had all these people around me who were begging me to see it differently. Like Lee would call me and be like, hey, dude, let's go to lunch. And I would be like, man, I must be such a good Christian that the youth pastor is asking me to go to lunch. I'm crushing it. Uh, Austin Morgan, like my best friend growing up, who we know now is a missionary in Turkey. He's just a stud of a dude. And he was that way in high school. And I thought, this guy's my friend. So I must be doing good. I'm a pretty awesome Christian. Joe Penley would call me and take me to go throw Frisbee when I was in middle school. And I kept thinking, man, I must be really cool. Christine Lee would have me over for dinner. And Christy would ask me a super intentional question about my life. And I would think, I must be doing great. I must be doing awesome. I would see Tom with all of his joy, and, and I would think, man, this guy loves me. I must be really cool. Patsy would send me letters. He would talk to me. I would think, man, I must be crushing it. 
And then, at the end of high school, I, uh, I memorized this verse for something very specific that was going to be even more applicable than I possibly could think about my faith. Um, when I was 18, right before I was going to jaunt off down the road to the University of Tennessee, go balls, and study what I thought was pre-med, didn't, didn't go very well for me in the medical department, uh, right before I went to do that, I uh, left to go to Colorado for a month to spend time uh, serving the Lord at Crooked Creek Ranch, which is a Young Life camp, most beautiful place on earth. These Young Life camps, they run with high schoolers and, and college folks giving up a month of their life to serve and to do things and to, to, to mow the grass, to, to rake the sand, to, to serve the food, all the things that have to be done. And let me tell you, this was right up my alley. Nothing was better for my spiritual piggy bank than the idea that, hey, God, I'm going to give a month of my life to you before I go to college to do this stuff. Clink, clink, clink. M money is going in the bank, baby. So I hopped on a plane, got on a charter bus, winded my way through the Rocky Mountains, lived in a bunk bed 9,000 feet up in the Rockies for a month. Wake up every morning, you stare at the Continental Divide. The sun would rise over it. It was breathtaking. I saw my first double rainbow there. Didn't know those existed until I was there. It was unbelievable. I would go on evening walks and like have to be aware that moose, mooses, moose, moose could be like on the trail that I was going on, and you don't like want to like. Yeah, I don't know what is the word. Does anybody know? It was it was breathtaking. Every moment of that. Everything about it. And when I was there, something clicked for the first time. It was like a light went on in my heart for the first time. Uh, all those people I named earlier loved me. They loved me like crazy. Not because I was this awesome Christian dude who was killing it. Um, at this point in my life, I was like a train conductor, just like steaming down a track that was gonna go off a cliff. And all my biblical knowledge, all the hymns and stuff I knew, all the stuff, I was just dumping the coals on the fire with that. I was, I was making this train go with what my faith was. And I was about to go off a cliff. And I realized after a month there that I think probably the most true thing about me right now at 18 years old is not how awesome I am and how great I'm doing things, it's how busted up and broken I am. How much I need Jesus Christ. How much I'm a sinner. It took me a long time to realize that. It took me a while to figure out, wait a second, I'm a sinner who needs Jesus? Just like all these other people? Wait, Lee and Tom and Patsy and Christy and Travis and Joe, all these people loved me and they knew this the whole time? <laughs> they knew it? Um, it changed my life. I was there, uh, I made one of my best friends in the world there. Ten years later, we still talk all the time. He's this sweet dude, his name's Matthew Ruiz. He lives in Texas, and we, we text all the time. We call each other on the phone all the time. And while we were at camp together, um, while I was mowing grass and picking up trash and having these really sweet, intentional conversations with people, while the Lord was opening up my eyes to things I never realized about myself, right before we were about to leave this, like, Conversations started happening amongst work crew people. I was like, I hate, I don't, I don't want to go back to the real world. 
I don't want to go back to the drama, to the families, to all the stuff. I want to keep this feeling that I have right now. I'm, I'm buzzing. I'm joyful. I'm fired up. We're praising the Lord together. We're, we're talking to each other. We're having great conversations. We've made real friendships for maybe the first time in our entire life. And he looked at me one of those last nights, and he said, hey, um, I think I realized something this time, this month that we've been here. What if? What if this is the way it was supposed to be? What if this is how the Lord wanted us to live our lives? What if this is what he was asking us to do? To put ourselves aside, to serve other people, to praise him, not just here while we're at camp, not just have real friendships while we're at camp, not just to care about each other, not just to serve each other. What if, what if, this real world we think we're going back into, what if we did this there? What if we experienced joy and friendship and love and the Lord together with each other, with our people back home? What if we did this? What if this was just a month, a sample, a month of what the rest of our lives could look like? And I've carried that with me for a long time. And I realized, I realized, if God is real, if the scriptures are real, if he created all this, if he spoke light into existence with just a few words, if at some point in time, he decided Thomas Cox is going to exist, and he's going to be this way. He's going to like all these weird things that he likes. He's going to be goofy. He's going to be silly. He's going to be a dad one day. He's going to be married to Maddie one day. He's going to be a pastor one day. If all that's real, and if he needed Jesus Christ to die for his sins, I realized this the whole time. For the first time in my life at 18, then I owe him every cent, every ounce of everything I have in my life. From then on, it was through this mixed up way of me understanding the gospel and this verse that this verse changed my life. Thanks, y'all. Hello. Surprise. <laughs> I'm a little surprised myself, but anyways. Um, you know, right, sandwich right in here between two pastors, no pressure. Anyways, my verse I chose was 2 Corinthians 1.20. So, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. People are like, why that? Let me explain. <laughs> what an amazing claim that is a promise itself. Every promise of God in Christ is yes and amen as strong an affirmation of truth as can be found in the Greek language. That really helps sometimes to really get the impact knowing the language. But so how has the scripture changed my life? In every way. And as I always loved how Paul's pentapage aims to keep the main thing the main thing. So let's talk about that. May what I share be more of God's word to you this morning than my own. That's been my prayer for three weeks, um, that you would be able to take away something this morning um, that I have gleaned and gained um, in teachings other, under other people and him himself. And may they be, be, just be a sweet offering of gladness and real hope to you. So 2 Corinthians 1.20 has been a mainstay in my life to see and how I study his word, how I do ministry, and how I do life with him. I love how this passage returns us to Jesus himself, first and foremost. Do you see it? 
It's a summary to the all of God's promises of what the Messiah would be like fulfilled in Jesus. In him, it has always been yes. Jesus came to serve and bring truth and to show that God is faithful to his promises. And in confirming his promises that we too may glorify God for his goodness and mercy to us. And that we may see better his goodness and mercy to us. It has served as a reminder of the source and joy of my own salvation, the source and joy of living in and for him, and the source of surety of the all of his promises to me. The gospel doesn't just change our eternal future, it changes everything about our present realities. So much about who I am is about what I believe. His promises, the gospels, exhibits them, they go back into the covenant as exhibiting them, they are perfectly ordered and perfectly purposed. The author of them is the amen himself in them. So much about who I am is about the who that I choose to believe. I love how this one verse holds all those other scriptures declared in scriptures to a deeper, fuller, right understanding. In it, we are led to worship him more, to follow him more persistently, to serve him more passionately, to teach and demonstrate the kingdom of God more readily, and to trust him with less questions and more faith, a lot more faith. I have seen firsthand his promises for the personal claim as good and right and true because I have seen him as good and right and true. I have seen the measure of all of his promises to be a measure of the all of who he is, the all of what he's done and does for us, and the all of what he says to us. Knowing all play a part to a greater story. God's gift of the Spirit helps us to live out the holy lives that he calls us to for his good and glory's sake. My life and my ministry is a life and ministry that find their yes and amen in him. He has helped me to see clear that which, we, that which he would have me to see despite the ever-changing course direction of my husband Dan's MS. Multiple sclerosis has not been our first or our last or family or personal challenge or suffering that have come our way. Jesus has always, and I mean always, saved us from being crushed in spirit and having and, and broken hearts. I remember having my Bible open to Psalms 34:18 while waiting for our four and a half month old daughter to come out of open heart surgery in 1989. So in life and ministry, I know what it's like to be tethered to the one that walks with me in it all and to this word before me. I know what it's like to remember God's footprints across our yesterdays to meet us in our todays as a means to remember his faithfulness and to see him as the one who holds all things together. I know how easy it is to hang back in fear instead of moving forward in faith. It might be easier, but it's not better. When I began the Women's Bible Study Ministry here, it was the same month that we began a battery of tests on Dan and received his MS diagnosis. A shocking discovery of what we thought was just a pinched nerve coming off of a 10-day rafting trip down the Colorado River. So out of the gates, I had a decision to make. To go on with him and what he had asked me to do or say no, not now, not like this. 
but God. Because I had made the earlier choice of being a student of his word and because I knew and trusted the one behind the yes and amen more than the circumstance, I went on with him. Bible study has always been a way for me to return home to Jesus and into his holy presence. He knew it would be just what I needed and more, and he knew it was just what my family would need and more. He has shown much goodness, grace, kindness, and mercy to me and my family in it. He is taking me by the hand and my heart, given me the courage and perseverance to stay the course, granted me the ability to show up more times than I can count, and held me up just as much. And that's happened over 20 years ago, believe it or not. So I don't think it's coincidental that I'm asked to share this message with you um, on this day. He has shown me that he doesn't need me to be strong because he is. He has shown me that even in grief, joy exists serving him, unconquerable joy. All we do to his glory is his work after all. This story, my story, bears witness to the surprising and surpassing mercy he's shown and gifted us all on repeat. And I will ever praise his name for it. Charles Spurgeon once said, it is a good thing to be without trouble, but it is a better thing to have a trouble and know how to get the grace enough to bear it. Without grace, burdens break us, but with grace, they bend us toward God so much about what I do is about the grace that meets me in it. I have learned to humbly come before him and seek his face, not his hand. I have learned to let the spirit do what the spirit does and reveal to me what is good and right and true. I am marked by the memory of his word spoken to me. My devotion to him and the Bible has grown more than I thought it ever could. They say we become what we behold and I would add that nothing is more transforming in our lives in living than beholding him in his word. Hear me out. There's no greater gift than the gift of eternal life that is ours in Christ Jesus. There is no higher or joyful call than to pursue a life in Christ that bears the fruit of his righteousness, that is upheld by his strength and power, that bears his name over our own, and sows and grows a heart of gratefulness to him in it all. He has not once let me down, not once. I trust him, no matter the promise, no matter the gain, no matter the loss, no matter the challenge, and no matter the too muchness. I have learned to wait better in faith than I once did. Surrender has been our soft place to land, where strength and faith have grown in the trenches, and I have most definitely learned a thing or two or three about keeping the main thing the main thing, as Paul has urged. God is the keeper of every one of his promises. He has been the keeper of every one of his promises to me, and Paul's way in writ was to ever exalt Jesus and point his readers and hearers to him, to the, know the hope of a surrendered, transformed life in him, a hope of the gospel of grace and the good news of salvation in Jesus, our hope in him is enough because he is enough and his grace is enough to sustain us for anything, in anything, with anything. Nothing is too hard for him. What he says he will do, he will do. What he requires of us, he provides. The most painful seasons of my life have been found to be the most purposeful, 
growing and fulfilling, where glimpses of his grace and mercy are found to be on every page and at every turn. The gift is in the notice. Grace isn't an undoing, it's an overcoming. And this is a goodness not lost on me. And the thing about grace, it's not seasonal. There's a grace to meet us wherever and however we are, a person and a peace to abide in. So as the calendar months change and the seasons shift, may we hold tightly to the one who doesn't change, who is right there with us walking us through. I'm a living, breathing testament to that every single day. <laughs> For as many as are the promises of God, in Christ they are all answered, yes. So through him we may say our amen to the glory of God. This promise, this hope, they are not a cop-out. They are more than Pollyanna, and they are more than wishful thinking. Because they are a promise and a hope given by the one and the highest of all authority to do so. This is a promise and hope that I rejoice in, and this is a promise and hope that I rest in, because he is the one I rejoice and I rest in. His word is a testimony of his great love for us and boundless by his promises that never fail. In Jesus, you and I can rejoice with exceeding great joy and say amen to the glory of God. So in closing, may our eyes ever and always continue to behold the beauty of Jesus and our salvation in him. And may our understanding of the gospel of grace continue to increase in all the things that come our way and come what may. Be assured, for no matter how much you and I have tasted the goodness of his grace, there's always more. Peace, presence, strength, and hope. Mercy's all ours with 10,000 beside. Glory be. Amen and amen. I was thinking about like, so what's the most um, important like scripture verse in my entire life? So, but it depends on, it kind of changed like as I would, uh, in different like seasons of my life, I guess. So until I was 18, the most important verse in my life was Luke chapter two, where it says there were shepherds keeping them watch over their flocks by night and an angel of the Lord appeared unto them and the glory of the Lord shone around about them and they were sore afraid. Cause that was the only verse I knew. And I learned it from Charlie Brown Christmas because I watched it every year when Linus said, I know what Christmas is all about Charlie Brown. Lights please. And <laughs> Linus was, um, he had a lot of insecurities and he had a security blanket and I had both and he was kind of my patron saint really <laughs> growing up. But then uh, there was another, I learned another verse when I was 18 because I was, I don't really know another way to say it, but I was trying to get saved. And um, the only book that I knew that was written by a minister was a book called The Power of Positive Thinking by Reverend Norman Vincent Peale. And he said in that book that if you believe you can, and there was a verse in there, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And so he said, if you, if you believe, and if you say this verse enough times, you can do anything. So I did both of those and couldn't. And so, um, and did not get saved reading that book. But then, but a couple of years later, it was uh, 48 years ago, right about this week in California. And 
I understood for the first time in my life the message of Jesus that he was offering me a gift of a complete forgiveness and a new start and a relationship with him. And the next day, I learned a verse, and it's Romans chapter 8, and it's verse uh, 15. And it said, we haven't received a spirit of bondage leading to fear, but a spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And that's a word that means dad. And someone explained to me, it's like now God, almighty God, the father has become your dad. You can call him dad. You can call him daddy. And I knew that was true. I could feel that beating in my heart that God had become my daddy. And I was looking for that. And I could, I could call him that. And it was a spirit of adoption that just like an adoption, I was trying to come to know Jesus for, since I was 10. And I didn't really find him till I was 20. But I was never anxious about it because I knew in my heart that he was calling me. You know, that he was whispering to me. He was pulling me. And later I learned he was adopting me. And so Romans 8.15 was the most important verse in my life because that's how I got in. And about five years later, Tina and I were in Winona Lake, Indiana, and I was going to theological seminary because I wanted to learn about the Bible. And I was taking this class in the book of Psalms, and we were, study, we were studying the 90th Psalm. And there's a place in verse 12 that said, I mean, the 90th Psalm says, you only have one life, it's really short. And you only have a limited number of days. So in verse 12, it says, teach us to number. It doesn't even, it doesn't really say teach us to count our days. It says, teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom, which wisdom means like the will of God for you. And so um, basically that was a verse that said, I want to, if I only have one life, it's really short. If I want to do anything with it, I need to do it now. It's time for us to go. Romans 8:15 was how I got in, but Psalm 90, verse 12, was how I really got going. And so Tina and I, we took our kids and we went to live in a foreign country, and it was amazing in a lot of ways. There were a lot of amazing things that happened, but mostly there was a, a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. So after we, you know, we had people living with us and, you know, living in a foreign country and all that stuff. So after about four years, about 1989, um, I think we were both feeling weary. You know, it was just a lot. So this couple came over from America to talk to all of us that were serving Jesus in Italy. It was a man named Ray Ortland and his wife, Ann Ortland. They were the sweetest people I had ever met. But they said, let me tell you why you all are all so weary, which you are, right? And they're, yeah, yes, we are. And he said, it's because um, one thing that you need to do is you need to um, fall in love with Jesus. It's probably what you're not doing, but you need to fall in love with Jesus every day. Like you need, and there was a, there was a scripture verse 
that um, was kind of paramount to me at that point. And it was Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4, where, it set, where it's a letter that Jesus wrote to some people. Um, and they were doing a lot for him. They were kind of like us. They were doing a lot and doing a lot for Jesus and all that and, you know, really working hard. And this letter said, I know that. I mean, I appreciate it. I know all you're doing. But I have one thing against you. You're neglecting the word first is really a word that means most important. You're neglecting your most important love, which is your love relationship with me. Um, so remember from where you've fallen and repent, which is a word that means change the way you think. And sometimes it's people, it's translated do the things you did at first, but in the, like in the Greek language, it really says do the first things. Do the most important things. And the most important things are the cultivation of your love relationship with Jesus. And Ray Ortland said, let me tell you how to do that. What you do is you get up in the morning every day and wherever you're reading in the scriptures, you know, you're probably having a week. And it's a week that you're having problems and you're going through different struggles and stuff in your life, in your heart, maybe being tempted in certain ways. And what you do is you get up in the morning and you open the scriptures, wherever you are in the scriptures, wherever you're reading, kind of systematically through the scriptures. And you say to Jesus, I need you to tell me that you love me. I, you know, I need you to tell me, I need you to give me, in what I'm reading and what I'm going through this week, I need you to tell me reasons why I can praise you, reasons why I can thank you, reasons why I can trust you. And I'm going to write them down in a book. And when I have five or six or seven, I'm going to thank you for those reasons. And I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to feel my heart fall in love with you today. So Romans chapter 8, verse 15 was how I got in. Psalm 90, verse 12 was how I got going. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 was how I got back. And I realized um, that falling in love with Jesus, falling in trust with Jesus, was something that I was going to have to do every single day. And since 1989, it's pretty much, I don't think I've missed as many days as you could put on two hands. And it's not because I'm disciplined. It's because I need it. I just need to love him. People in my life need me to love him. My kids need me to love him. Tina needs me to love him. It's what people need the most from me, is for me to love him. So um, I've pretty much done that every day. You know, people say, gosh, you're so disciplined. Well, I pretty much eat every day. Every day, yes. I can't remember missing a day. You're so disciplined. It's not really about that. It's that I don't feel good if I don't. <laughs> you breathe every day. Yes, I do. You've never skipped a day? No, 
Um, I've never skipped a day. Wow, well, it's not really about discipline. It's just I pass out if I don't. So I have, I try to, I have that time with Jesus every day because it's just not good if I don't. And I have to do it every day because today is the most important day of my life. Um, because yesterday's over with. And tomorrow hasn't come yet. Today is the only day that I can praise and worship Jesus. Today is the only day that I can please him and just like obey him and do what he tells me. Today is the only day that I can pray and depend on him. I can't do it yesterday because yesterday's over with. I can't do it tomorrow because Tomorrow's not here yet. I mean, I'm thankful for yesterday. And I'm thankful for my past. And it helps me to be hopeful about tomorrow and hopeful about the future. But today is the most important day of my life. Because today is the only day that I can praise, that I can please him, and that I can pray. That's why. The most important verse in my entire life is Hebrews chapter 7, and it's verse 25, and also chapter 8 and verse 1, and chapter 8 and verse 10. Those are the most important verses in my life. They haven't been the most important verses in my life for a long time, probably only for about seven hours. But it's because, and I would explain to you why they are, but it's a little too complicated, and it's a little too personable. But Romans 8, 15 was how I got in. Psalm 90, verse 12 was how I got going. Revelation 2 and verse 4 was how I got back. And Hebrews 7, 25, and 8, 1, and 8, 10 were how I got up today. I don't know what the most important verses in my life are going to be tomorrow, when tomorrow is the most important day in my life, because tomorrow will be today, tomorrow. <laughs> but I can't wait to find out. Lord Jesus, thank you. <sighs> thank you for giving us a way to love you every day. Thank you, Spirit of God, for helping us to fall in love with you every day. It's the most beautiful part of my day because it makes the rest of the day so sweet. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The sky is black, the moon is high. It won't be light for quite a while. Tell me want to hear oh whisper them into my ear i'm waiting and everyone i know's asleep here in the dark it's you and me and you can see behind these ribs 
everything I have to give, I'm Nothing. 